Hello rescuers, my name's Che Webster and this is a Roleplay Rescue bonus episode. What I've got today is five or so call-ins from various people around the community, calling in on call-ins, calling in on worlds, and calling in on underdogs. So let's get into it. H.A. Jason here, just listen to Rolling 1D6 call-ins. Very cool. Thank you for the kind words. Um, yeah, I definitely look forward to a long-term game. If we can get one sort out, maybe Arlen's game or, you know, and, and it, there's no reason you couldn't have your persistent world that people kind of come in and out of. And you were doing that with the dungeon, right? Remember when you started doing your GURPS and, and you did your dungeon and people were in and out? So it's possible to do. It, it and I think players kind of caught into that. Uh, now the negative to that, of course, is you want some continuity as a GM, and I think you'll find some players will be there a lot, and other players will pop in every now and then. So that may or may not be what you're looking for. So you might not want that. But if you want to run a continuing world, I I think you'll have the player base to support it. Hi Che, Paul call again with a response to your response to my feedback in bonus episode. 212 random call-ins. So I do in fact agree with you that the worlds we're visiting through play are in some important sense real and that behaving and believing that they are could enhance our games. So so we're together on that so far. Uh, it seems like the position you find most comfortable is thinking of the worlds as pre-existing and then when you're playing you're visiting a singular place that already exists and then Epistemologically, the only way to come to know that place is through the hieratic mediation of the Game Master. They've read the tablets that Greg Stafford brought down from the mountain, and they present this true vision of the world to the players. So therefore, any chinks in that priestly facade can lead to a crisis of faith. If the GM isn't infallible, if the reality is relative and the player can change pieces of it, then the whole edifice falls apart and there's nothing left to believe in. Uh, so in my view, rather than there being a single platonic version of a world with we players doomed to stare fixedly at an imperfect shadow on our gaming table, I prefer to take a sort of an Everton Wheeler mini-worlds approach. So in some sense, all the worlds exist, as do all the versions of those worlds. And the key moment is when the GM and the players together observe the state of the world and together decide what happens. And thus, from the perspective of the game, uh, which leg of the trousers of reality we travel down. But just because this can happen collaboratively doesn't make the world any less real. If a player says the local tavern is called the Six-Horned Ram, then that's what it's always been named. Whether a fact came from a published supplement describing the world, a role on a random table, was made up by the GM in their notes, or invented on the spot by the GM or by a player, once it's been agreed, it's something that has always been true about the world you're exploring. So I'm not saying that any approach to play is wrong, and if someone just wants to regard the game from an, the ironic distance of a war game general, or if they just want to hang out and roll some dice, that's plenty cool. But I do think that the ability to believe the lies we're telling each other at the table is a skill, like method acting. As the Church of the Subgenius says, 
pull the wool over your own eyes. So thanks for Jason at the top of the show and Heptalemma. Paul, thanks very much for your call in. Now, whilst I chuckle to myself at your invocation of the Platonic ideals and uh, Platonic philosophy generally, um, and I could fully appreciate the irony of you kind of making this sound like there's some kind of priesthood of truth around um, the worlds that we create, I actually think that there is a fundamental difference depending on the goal you have in building your world. As the author Mark J.P. Wolf has commented in his book, Building Imaginary Worlds, um, which is essentially around the theory and history of sub-creation, it is very common for people to create a world to support a story. And in that sense, the world doesn't really need any more detail than what is required to tell the story. And I think where you're coming from is a storytelling position. You want to, the world exists as much as it needs to for you to be able to tell the stories that you're telling at the table. And I think there, because it doesn't really matter uh, so much what the world is because it's about supporting the story I think the collaboration between players can work a heck of a lot better I however have a completely different goal when I come to the table and that is to create and present a world which is utterly believable and actually can sustain stories within it it can sustain different characters and different stories within it but essentially it exists outside of the story it doesn't exist to purposely support any particular story or any particular set of characters it simply exists as an act of sub-creation now use the term sub-creation in the way that wolf kind of points to which is the idea that we are within the primary creation and whenever we create something as human beings it is essentially a sub-creation something within the primary world that we live in now, what's interesting about reading his book um, and actually also in terms of thinking about this is we are ultimately bound by the world in which we live in and we always seem to create worlds that are somehow connected to this one and through which we build uh, something new based on what we already know. And I just find it interesting on a philosophical level, I suppose, that I want to play in a world that feels like it is something separate from this one but also in a sense also separate from the stories and characters that may or may not occur there i think that that is an approach to gaming that is not often talked about i think that is essentially what um tolkien for example was trying to do i think he was trying to build a world and i think he happened to set some stories in that which helped him to allow people to explore that world experience that world but which you know in, in a sense the the realm of Arda and middle earth exists outside of the lord of the rings outside of the hobbit outside of the Cimmerillion, and at the same time is somehow constructed through those stories and for me this is the thing i want to present a world to my players and have it um unfold through what we do together not simply exist as a backdrop to a story but maybe i'm just totally wrong thanks for the calls guys hey i'm shay shandy andy here been a while since i left you a message but i've been listening to your patreon podcast that you've been putting out and enjoying them um, you've mentioned it several times now about runequest second edition so i mean i'm obviously interested if you want to run something in that or play in something like that I'm definitely up for that. Um, I feel a bit guilty because I probably um, 
caused you to end up going down the role play, uh, the request role playing in Glorantha? Well, because I do think it is a better system, but I'm still interested in RuneQuest 2nd Edition, just for a nostalgia point of view, really, because I played a lot of it back in the 80s, and it, it's very, very similar to RuneQuest Glorantha. So if you're up for that, uh, count me in. Shandy Andy, very good to hear from you, and I'm glad that you're well. Thanks for your call. I know there's another one coming as well, so we'll get to that in a moment. But just on the subject of RuneQuest 2nd Edition, you know, I've been reflecting on this, and I think that one of the things that I'm most wanting to do is go explore that map, and I guess also go and explore those old resources. So I think I would potentially be interested in using RuneQuest Garantha, which is obviously an updated version of RuneQuest 2 uh, to a much more modern sensibilities with a heck of a lot more detail, much more comfortable using the set of rules there to go and explore the older modules and the older materials that I have, and kind of, I guess, incrementally... Uh, immerse myself into the world of Glorantha. I think that the problem is that starting from the position of the modern game and, and the depth and wealth of information on Glorantha there is, that that is a significantly overwhelming uh, prospect, especially to GM. And I think ultimately, I think I would, uh, the other thing to say on this is that I would want really to be a player rather than a GM in Glorantha right now. Um, but yeah, thanks for the call, and I guess maybe this is something we can talk about doing when we get to do some face-to-face -face gaming, because, you know, that's becoming a possibility now. Anyway, Andy does have a little bit more to say. Hey, Shay, Shandy Andy again. I thought I'd send you a message as well about uh, Worlds, because I'm with you completely on this, and I think you, you know that, is that when I set up the two games I ran last year, the Wilderlands and Glorantha with starting points and the role-playing systems that went with them were secondary. I mean, with Glorantha, to be honest, it, it always ends up being RuneQuest at the end of the day because they're interwoven now, as it were. But Wilderlands was my choice and then it was Old School Essentials was the secondary thing, really, putting that together. Um, so I'm definitely of the opinion the world is very important, more so than the rule set, probably. Um, so you do have a soulmate on that front, shall we say. Hey, Chai, Spencer here. I've just started listening to episode eight, season nine, Underdogs. And uh, it's a subject very close to my heart. I love that kind of low fantasy aesthetic where you, you, know, you start off as a real zero. And the first thing that sprang to mind was the film Jabberwocky. And, you know, it has its flaws, but I love the film and um, I love the aesthetic of it uh, and that kind of murky muddy mysticism and a sort of a, a real kind of grimy realistic portrayal of the medieval era and something about the protagonist there the fact that he's an absolute nobody who manages to achieve something in spite of himself in spite of who he is despite the fact that he's completely inept. There's something about that added element that really appeals. Hey, Che, this is John from Tale of the Manticore. I just finished listening to episode uh, 908, The Underdogs. And uh, I wanted to call in and uh, just uh, add my two cents. Uh, you listed a lot of great reasons why uh, many of us do prefer underdog games, and I certainly count myself as one of those people. Um, but... 
I think there might be an option E or F or G or H. I, I lost count. Um, anyway, one more idea to describe people like me. The reason that I prefer low fantasy gaming is simply that high-powered fantasy gaming tends to break my suspension of disbelief over and over and over again. Uh, even in OSR games, the power creep problem can uh, make this happen, where you've got characters that once they start to reach level 6 and 7 and 8, they're throwing away magic swords uh, because they've got better ones. And it's, it's those moments that, for me, just ruin the fiction and take me out of it. Uh, anyway, so those are my thoughts on The Underdog, that uh, low fantasy gaming just feels more believable, and I want to inhabit a fantasy world that, even if there's elves and goblins and magic, feels believable. Anyway, Jay, keep up the great work. I'm always so happy when a new episode of Roleplay Rescue appears in my podcast feed. Later. Spencer from Keep Off the Borderlands and John from Tale of the Manticore, thank you very much for those calls, guys. I really appreciated that. Yeah, um, Spencer, I'm with you. I don't think there's much more I can say on that. I think that, you know, you talk about a great film there that evokes that sense of the underdog really well. John hit the nail on the head for me. Um, I couldn't agree more. I think it's something perhaps I hadn't considered, but you're right. I was reflecting on, like, when I played Dungeons & Dragons back in the old days. Y- yeah, we. I know I never really wanted to get much beyond sort of third or fourth level, even though we didn't regularly do that. Because, yeah, I would not want to believe in some of those high-powered spells and high-powered items, some of the behaviors that you like you kind of pointed out about how characters players start to discard things that their characters know there's going to be better out there yeah there's something about inhabiting um, an imaginary world that is connected enough to ours like feels grounded enough um, and that's the term i keep using over and over that i i really relate to so thank you for your call i am kind of trying to try and hold that in mind as I create my own fantasy realm because your your point is very much taken to heart and that's it for the calls today so I just wanted to say thank you to Jason to Andy to Spencer to John and to Paul for all the calls and yeah game on (laughs) 